Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Turn our attention to the book of Amos as we journey through this uh, book fairly quickly, just a chapter a week as we go through it. We're in chapter 5 tonight, and a message that I want to share with you, how to avoid the woodshed. Now, for some of you, you're too young to remember the reference to the woodshed. The woodshed, uh, I actually grew up in North San Diego County at a time Uh, when you could sit on your front porch and shoot guns. Uh, There were not enough people in the general area. We had a very large chunk of property. And matter of fact, we had ranches and cattle and all kinds of wonderful things. And we actually had a woodshed. Uh, The woodshed was the place where if you were, let's just say, not okay with grandpa, the woodshed is where you went. The woodshed is where you got talked to, the woodshed is where, now I know this would be child abuse today, but back then people believed that the rod of correction applied to the seat of knowledge actually accomplished something. That's where you got a spanking. That's where when you didn't do what you knew to do, you ended up in trouble. Now I don't know about you, but I'm not really all that interested in being in trouble with the Lord. Matter of fact, I'd like to not be in trouble with the Lord. And so in that way, this chapter provides us a backdrop of how to stay out of the woodshed, how to avoid it, how to stay out of the Lord's line of fire, as it were. Because the Lord's character is good, amen? We said that, everybody agree? If the Lord is good when he chastens you, he's still what? He's still good, isn't he? He still loves us, doesn't he? He does, his motivations are never evil. They're never vicious. They're never vindictive. The Lord's motivations are always good, even when he does something that he would prefer not to do. And so this passage helps us as we get to view the children of Israel through this prophet from the sticks named Amos, this herder of sheep from Tekoa, as he speaks a word for the Lord towards the children of Israel. Remember, this is the ten northern tribes, though he himself is in Judah in the south. And so tonight, how to avoid that woodshed. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you uh, for the things in Scripture that are corrective. Lord, help us to know what not to do. So often that is almost more important than knowing what to do. Often there are many ways to get where we need to go, but the things that we need to avoid are normally more pointed. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us and encourage us, Lord. As we read these things, let us not take the negative connotation, but the positive. You tell us these things for a reason. And so, God, we give you this time and pray that you'd speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, Amos 5. Hear this word... 
So whenever you hear that from the prophet, you can always kind of make a little loose analogy there that that would be the same thing as reading your Bible. Because then the prophet spoke for the Lord. Now the prophets have already spoken for the Lord. So the written word that we have is that equivalent. The Lord's speaking to us, though the Lord still can speak to you privately. We know that what we have in Scripture is the word of the Lord. So hear the word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. A lamentation, another way to look at that is... is it's a funeral dirge. It's a, it's a strong piece of language. It was normally kind of a song. It was put to melody, but it was designed to express grief. And immediately you're going, oh, great. Well, the book of Amos is like this, but it's, it's important for us to take this in its context. The Lord is saying these things to keep them from going where they shouldn't go. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone has enough love for me to correct me, I actually really appreciate that. Matter of fact, I think most of us function best when we know what's expected of us, do we not? If I don't tell you what's expected of you, if I were to hire you, uh, which we have a number of employees, about 75 of them here at the church, if you were to be hired and brought on staff, you're going to sit down with Pastor Rob or myself or a supervisor, and we're going to give you those things which are expected of you. We all function best underneath some expectation. In other words, a job description in that way. But in a biblical way, God tells us what he expects of us so that we can walk within the confines of that expectation. The children of Israel had the law. The children of Israel had the feast days. The children of Israel had all these things where God had already spoken to them. And he'd said, look, I am your God. You are my people. Walk with me. In other words, if you will be obedient to the things I've told you, you're going to walk in blessing. But if you walk in disobedience, you're going to have some difficulty. So God had given them these expectations. And so now Amos picks up this whole concept, and he's going to expand on it uh, here in this chapter, how to avoid these things. The virgin of Israel has fallen, she'll rise no more, she lies forsaken in her land, there's no one to raise her up to help her. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which goes out by a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. And so he kind of says, look, here's the deal. Listen up, this is serious. Unless you want to see your household reduced by 90%, you might want to take a listen. And I think the reason that this is here in the beginning of this particular book, here in this particular chapter, is that God is telling us this is serious stuff. One of the things that I, I'm stunned about the church right now, and I'm talking about the church in general, not specifically this church or our church, but certainly some within our church, is how lightly people take the word of God. It's like, here's what the Bible actually says, and yet, well, I don't really like that, so I'm going to do things my own way, and then people are all of a sudden mind-boggled by the fact that the actual thing that God said is the best way to do was actually the best way to do it and you do it another way and you're kind of amazed that it didn't work out well. God gives us these things so that we can walk with him 
in that understanding that he does know best. So he's saying, look, these things are serious. You, you don't want to be bemoaning the fact that it goes bad when you had the opportunity to avoid it. And so in order to do this, we're going to see several things that we ought to do and several things that we ought not to do. In other words, just like in the New Testament where we have these lists, say in Romans chapter 1 or Galatians chapter 5 or in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where you kind of have these opposing lists. These are the things that people do who are believers and these are things that people who are believers shouldn't do. This particular chapter contains that type of a narrative. And so this is the third time that already here in Amos, in five chapters, three times, Amos has said, pay attention to the word of the Lord. Remember that to be obstinate, as we saw in our last study, is to do exactly the opposite of that. It's to to work against or to refuse to change your behavior or not deal with those things that have been said to you, to actually be against them in that way. And so here we have this companion thought of how to keep from getting a spanking from the Lord. What's the first thing? You see, Israel was very enthusiastic about the way they worshiped the Lord. They were actually into religion, if you want to look at it that way. Matter of fact, they had the world's most organized religion and the world's only monotheistic religion. In other words, one God. And so they were very organized about it. So they had a temple, they had sacrifices, they had feast days, they had the Torah, the first five books, the books of Moses or the Pentateuch. They had all these things that God had spoken to them, and so they were kind of proud of that. And I think in the same way, we can almost be proud of, well, I, I go to church on Thursday nights. Or I go to church on Sunday. Or, or I tithe. Or I've been in the mission field. I, I went twice. I, I've been to Mexico and I've been somewhere else. And we start listing these things that we do for the Lord as if the things that we do for the Lord are the basis of our relationship. And they're not. The basis of our relationship is that God loves us and we love him. Everything else spills out of that. And what had happened to the children of Israel is they had boiled their relationship down to, to a, a handful of things. And top of that list was religious activity. And they were really good at it. They were extremely organized in the way they expressed their devotion to God. They would never miss going to the synagogue on, on Saturday. That's where you would find every good Jew. But they went there with their baggage. And they went there with busted hearts. They went there with their eyes focused on the world. They went there with no intent of turning around and doing things God's way. They went there because it was their religious duty. There's a word for us in that. We have to be careful that we don't turn our relationship into the Lord from a love relationship into religious obligation to where we're just doing what we do because we think we're going to get something from God by acting a certain way. God is after your heart. 
He's not after your activities. He's not after your pocketbook, everything on this earth he already owns. He doesn't need you to actually give it back to him. It was already his in the first place. He wants your heart. He wants to love you. And he wants you to love him reciprocally. And so the Jewish people, what are they doing at this time? Well, they're about to face the Assyrian invasion. And so instead of asking themselves the right question, which is, what is God doing in that he would allow this? What is it that is not right that he would take his hand of protection and blessing off of us? They just whip up the religious fervor even more. They're going to the temple more often. They're making greater sacrifices. And they're missing the whole point. So they begin to depend on their military might. They begin to depend on their political standing. They begin to depend on their alliances with these nations. And for that, they're going to be scattered. The ten northern tribes are going to disappear. Now, make sure that you recognize that those supposed ten lost tribes are not lost at all in God's eyes. He knows exactly where every one of them are. And just as the book of Revelation says, in the very last days, he's going to regather all of them and they will worship him again, 12,000 from each of them. So God knows where they are, but they don't know where they are. They're not sure where they're coming. Even the things that the Lord allows to happen to the children of Israel have a point. They had actually begun to depend on what tribe they were from. So it's like, oh, I'm from the tribe of Manasseh. I'm from the tribe of Ishakar. I'm from the tribe of Dan. And they would divide themselves up according to their inheritance in the land. And say, well, we're Danites. Well, the Danites actually controlled the, the upper reaches of the River Jordan. Very powerful group of people. They had the largest fortified city in, in, in what was Israel, the northern portion. It's walled to this day. You can travel there, but it had become a place of pagan worship. So they're declaring their love for the Lord, but they're making alliances with all of their pagan neighbors, and pretty soon they build a pagan altar in the place of the altar that was supposed to be for the worship of Yahweh. That's what can happen if you just start doing things for religious reasons. And so... They needed to be revived in their heart, exactly as Psalm 85 reminds us. Will you not revive us again, O Lord, so that we can be a people who rejoice, so we receive your mercy? And so the question begins, are you willing to listen? Am I willing to listen to the Lord? So the first thing is, will you hear the word of the Lord? Because sometimes you are not going to like what you hear. You might be in a relationship that the Lord doesn't want you in. You might have a habit the Lord doesn't want you to have. You may have a job the Lord might want you to not have. You, you may need one and, and want one very desperately and he's got something else for you. And the one you want, he doesn't want you to. You may hear something from the Lord that you do not like. You're undoubtedly going to hear, love those who are your enemies. 
Do good to those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You're going to hear what the Lord has spoken to the church. If you desire mercy, be merciful, be forgiving. You see, you're going to hear some things that perhaps in the moment you're not going to want to hear. When you're going through a difficult time and someone has wounded you, you really don't want to hear, love them and do good to them. For in doing so, it heaps coals on there. You you don't want to hear that. You want to hear, you know, can I just exact my pound of flesh? Doesn't the Lord hate evil and they're doing evil? Can I just get them, Lord? What you want to hear and sometimes what you do hear from the Lord are not exactly the same. You have to be prepared as a follower of Christ to hear the word of the Lord and then do it. What's the second thing? Look at verse 4. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. So the second thing is seek the Lord. You see, it's one thing to hear the word of the Lord, and here's what happens to somebody who's in sin. When they know that something's going on, they take their Bible and they close it. I don't hear anything. Instead of running to the Lord and seeking the Lord, going to church, hanging out with their Christian friends, going and getting some counsel from somebody who also loves the Lord, they stop seeking the Lord. And in fact, very often, they actually seek the counsel of the world. So the second thing is to actually actively seek the Lord. But do not seek Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, nor pass over to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, with no one to quench it in Bethel. So these three places that are listed here used to be places where the Lord was worshipped. But they had gone the wrong direction, which made them very popular with people who were also desiring to go the wrong direction. Hear me well on this, church. Whenever you get into a situation where you are not listening to the Lord and you stop seeking the Lord, you know who you seek? People who already think like you. You seek out confirmation. Yeah, you know, you're a rotten husband. I can't believe your wife said that to you. You see, you will end up trying to seek out someone who will agree with you. You will go to the Bethels. You will go to the Gilgals. You will end up in these places to where you are going to hear what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. You need to seek the Lord. You need to go heartily after the Lord. The prophet Isaiah gives us some insight into how to do this, by the way. There in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, notice this, forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Why is this important? 
Notice the key there. You got to turn around. We have to repent. Part of seeking the Lord is running towards the Lord. So if you're running away from the Lord, what does that require you to do? If I'm booking it this way and God's that way, what do I have to do? I have to turn around. That's actually what the word repentance in its basic meaning is. It means to change direction. It means to stop going the direction you were going, turn around and go the other way. It implies also action. You're going to do what you were not doing before or stop doing what you were doing before, either way you look at it. In other words, you're not just changing direction, but you're also changing the way you think about where you were going. The children of Israel were very content to find people who agreed with them, and once they found someone who agreed with them, rather than seeking the Lord, they simply sought to have numbers. Well, we've got eight people who all say the same thing. We now have the internet. You can prove anything by the internet, correct? There are absolutely Martians that invaded Torrance this week. Do a Google search, are there Martians in Torrance? Yep, there's some guy sitting, you know, he's over on Crenshaw, he's got his sign. I saw Martians in Torrance. You can prove anything, but what if you seek the Lord? What if you spend time, Lord, you know, U.S. government's getting ready to release this gigantic report on UFOs, right? I guarantee you there's going to be information there that's going to seem persuasive. But when you drill down into it and you seek the Lord, you're probably going to come up with a different opinion about it. Seek the Lord. Psalm 1, the very first psalm, says, Do not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Don't stand in the path of the sinner. Don't sit with the scornful. In other words, it's filled with these negative admonitions. Don't do these things. Seek the Lord. Run after God. Why is it that we should do this? This basic phrase, seek the Lord, is found over 30 times in Scripture. And here Amos actually gives us some really solid reasons. Anybody in here want abundant life in Christ? If you want abundant life in Christ, you need to seek the Lord. Because you won't have abundant life in Christ if you're seeking the things of the world. You won't have it. Actually, we're not supposed to love the world or the things that are in the world. For those that do the will of the Father, those people are the ones that God blesses. You see, if we go after the world instead of seeking the Lord, we end up with a less than abundant life. That's not saying you won't be saved, though it's certainly not a great way to have your walk you know, go with the Lord. But it is saying if you want abundant life, you want rich life, you want full life, you want all God wants for you, you have to seek the Lord. That's what it requires of you. And unfortunately, most people kind of want Jesus as Savior, but they do not want him as Lord. It's like, well, you know, I'd rather you just kind of stay out of my stuff. I kind of wish that God would just get out of my business. It's like, I got stuff to do, places to go, things to see. You know, it's just like, Lord, could you just kind of leave me alone? 
And the Lord says, no, you've got to seek me with a whole heart. You've got to follow after me with everything. You've got to be all in. You know, it's amazing to me. You know, there's such a difference for those of you that are athletically inclined. You know, when you're on a junior high softball team and then you go to the freshman baseball team and then you go to the JV team in high school and then you go to high school and you're, you're maybe a star on your varsity team on your team in your league and then you go to state and you find out that your team actually stinks compared to everyone else. And then by the time you go to minor league baseball, you're like, hmm, man, there's 9,000 guys that are better than me. You see, the difference between the person that starts on the junior high softball team and the one that starts for the Dodgers is that person has put their whole life into learning the game of baseball. Amen? Everything. They live it, breathe it, sleep it, eat it. Everything about their life is the game of baseball. They have a batting cage in their backyard. They throw thousands of balls every day. The same thing applies to your walk with the Lord. You know, you can go out for a junior high softball team and you can kind of sort of throw the ball and it almost goes the right direction. But that's not going to put you on the Dodgers, spiritually. If you want to play with the big, big dogs, you want to be good at something, you have to seek it with your whole heart. Put every bit of effort into it. A second thing. We should seek the Lord because, and again, this is a little bit of self-serving, because there's really no other way to get spiritual blessings. Anybody in here want to be blessed? I do. You know, I'd much rather be blessed than cursed, just saying. So if you want to be blessed, you have to seek the Lord for those blessings. Now you can arbitrarily, because God is providentially good to the whole world, you're going to stumble onto some good things occasionally, even if you're evil. God actually allows good things to happen to bad people, doesn't he? And he also has bad things happen to good people, doesn't he? But if you'd like to up your game in the blessing category, you need to seek the Lord. If you'd like the Lord to give you more blessing, then seek him. Say, God, where do you want me to be so I'm in the sweet spot? For those of you that under, I don't know how many of you care or watch golf or play golf, but I can tell you this, having played a fair amount of golf in my life, it takes unbelievable precision to hit a golf ball. And to do it over and over and over and over again and to know the distance that every club is going to hit with a certain amount of grass behind it and all those kind of things, it's nuts. Again, if you're not seeking that, if you don't hit the ball on the sweet spot, then those things go everywhere and not the direction you want them to go. There's no blessing in fishing your ball out of the lake. Most of the time you can't find it. So if you want to be blessed, then you have to seek those blessings. 
You've got to hit the sweet spot in everything that you do with the Lord. There's no other way. You know, so many people, and again, look, I was a camp director for 20 years, so I believe in retreats and camping and all those kind of things. I am a fan, a proponent. I will tell you everyone should have those types of experiences in their life. But can I tell you those things cannot sustain you? You cannot go to a mountaintop and bring back a singular experience from the Lord and expect to live on it for the rest of the year. That one blessing of going there and just hearing a word from the Lord that one weekend or that one week at camp or going someplace, it is not about geography. It is about you continually seeking the Lord. It's a lifestyle. And so Amos tells us this is a lifestyle choice. A third reason, ultimately God's going to judge the world. This is the negative one of the bunch, if you want to look at it that way. If you don't like the positive ones, if you don't want an abundant life and you don't want blessings, how about you don't want God to judge you? Now here's the deal for the child of God. Paul writes to the church at Corinth that all everyone who's a believer will one day stand before the judgment seat of God to receive those things which are done in this body, both good and bad. Lack of reward or reward. So even for those of us who walk in grace, we're going to one day stand before the Lord. But for the unbeliever, it carries an even greater connotation. And that's the great white throne judgment where ultimately you'll hear depart for I've never known you. You see, God often will tell us, here's the positive things. Do you want abundant blessings? Do you want an abundant life? Or would you like to be judged? So while this is not the best motivation, the best motivation is, I want to have an abundant life that means something for the Lord. I want to see the greatest things that God can do in my life and through my life accomplished. You should at least look at the negative one, and I'd really like to not be judged by the Lord. I would like to hear, well done. I'd like to be able to at least have a crown, which I believe all believers receive one, but you might want more than one. The crown of life you're going to get. That was paid for with Christ's blood. But the crowns of reward, the crowns of victory, those things which you could offer back to Jesus and look, this is all done for your glory and for your name's sake. I don't want to stand before the Lord and receive nothing to give back to him. I want to be proud of my life. Lord, you gave everything for me. I'm going to give you back my life. Amos moves on, verse 7. Seek the good. So not just seek the Lord, but seek good. These are things that we could look at in our world and go, man, doesn't the world need more goodness in it? You who turn justice into wormwood, that's another word of saying you turn justice into something that's demonically inspired and lay righteousness to rest on the earth. In other words, you kill off righteous deeds. And there's a little parenthesis here. He who made Pleiades in Orion, he who turns the shadow of death into mourning, makes the day as dark as night and calls the waters of the sea and pours them out onto the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He reigns among the strong so that fury comes upon the fortress. 
They hate the one who rebukes the gate. They abhor the one who speaks uprightly. You see, the one that you're actually comparing your deeds to, the one that you ought to be trying to please, the one who is looking at everything that we do, is actually the creator of heaven and earth. That's who's watching. That's who's overseeing every second of your life. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? We just kind of go about our daily lives. It's just like, well, you know. Did you know there's nothing neutral in your life? There is not a neutral thing in your life. It is either good or bad. It may be really good or really bad, but it's one of those two things. There's no gray thing. It's either a benefit to the Lord and his kingdom or it's not. Now, maybe it's not a great detriment to the kingdom, and maybe it's not a great benefit to the kingdom, but it's in one category or the other. It's the only two possibilities. There's no gray area, because God looks at it perfectly. Jeff, that was for me, or Jeff, that was against me. Jeff, that's something that blesses me, or Jeff, that's not something that blesses me. You see, it's not gray. We think... Like everything is kind of, well, maybe, sort of, kind of might be. No, every second that you live on this earth has the potential either to be used for the king or not for the king. Kind of changes our perspective about things, doesn't it? Every moment of your time. You know, I'm kind of one of those guys, I... Cell phones are necessary, but one day I'd like to like pitch mine up and take a 34-ouncer and just, boom, drive that thing straight down the line. Hallelujah, can I get an amen? You know, it's like if I have to do another Zoom call, another FaceTime, it's like I'm going to strangle my phone. I, I, I like talking to people. They're necessary. But you know, every second I've got my phone in my hand, good or bad, for the Lord or not, every word, one day you're going to give an account for every word that's proceeded out of your mouth. Every word. Every deed that's done in your body, one day you're going to give it. You see what I'm saying? Changes your perspective. So are you doing good with them? Do those moments matter is another way to look at it. Do your moments matter for the Lord? That doesn't mean you have to run around and, can I just get something off my chest here? If you love Jesus, getting a sign that says Jesus is Lord and then running across a baseball field is dumb as hot rocks and it does nothing for God's kingdom, okay? That's a bad thing. You know why? Because some security guard's got to come tackle you, and it makes you look like a complete nutcase. That's the type of thing that people would say, oh, I was just you know, telling people about Jesus. No, you were telling people that Jesus is a lawbreaker. That Jesus doesn't care about those security guards having to chase you down. Doesn't care about law enforcement. Doesn't care about the law. Doesn't care about the government that he actually instituted. You see, good or bad. Bad. 
for the Lord, not for the Lord. Be careful. Be careful what you do with your time. Make sure it's for the Lord. Solidly for the Lord. And therefore, because they hate the one who rebukes at the gate, that's where the business of the children of Israel was done. Somebody comes to the gate, things were tried there, the the elders would sit at the gate and hear the case, and they would make a judgment. But they were also the elders of Israel. That's where they sat. These were the wise ones. These are the people. Well, they hated that. They would rather go talk to their neighbor about it, go gossip about it. They abhorred the one who speaks uprightly. They just wanted somebody to agree with them. And therefore, because you tread down the poor, check these things out, and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses of hewn stone, you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you'll not drink wine from them. The Lord hates it when we take advantage of the poor. Hates it. He hates it. Let's stop dancing around this issue. The Lord hates it when people are taken advantage of. Period. End of conversation. It doesn't mean that there aren't reasons that people have acted in a way that keeps them in a place where God can't bless them, but God doesn't like it when people who have take from those who don't. Period. For I know your manifold transgressions, your mighty sins afflicting the just and taking bribes. This is why when I, people argue with me all the time about you know, political things, or at least they try to. And then I just tell them, look, as far as I'm concerned... There is supposed to be a separation of church and state. The Bible actually teaches that very clearly in Romans 13. It doesn't mean that the church shouldn't infiltrate the state, but the church needs to stay holy. And the church can't stay holy if it sullies itself with the dirty things that go on in politics. The church needs to be the church. It's supposed to be the superior entity. It is not supposed to be inferior And so the reason that Christians need to hold office is so their righteousness can infiltrate the government. But you cannot do it the other way. You'll never Christianize unsaved people. It can't happen. Spiritual things are spiritually appraised. The carnal mind can't know them. So what happens here is they don't care about it anymore. They stop being salt and light. They stop attempting to institute change that's godly. They just give up. God doesn't want us to give up, but he definitely wants us to make sure that we remain righteous in all that we do and that we don't associate ourselves with sinful things. God has an opinion about that. that That's the church's opinion, whatever it is. The children of Israel said, well, you know, it's politically expedient for us to just allow all kinds of stuff to happen. We'll just, you know, as long as, as long as we get good tax advantages out of it, we'll vote for that person. As long as we get things that we want from them, then we'll put up with whatever they do. Remind you of any country that we have to live in? Taking bribes. People are supposed to be just. 
People who are supposed to be righteous. People who claim to walk with God. That's why when somebody names the name of Christ, you better live for Christ. Otherwise, it's a shame on the name of the Lord. I'll I'll tell you from my experience in both church and business privately, I have never, never been treated as poorly in both the church and in business as I have by supposed Christians. The heathens generally act better than a lot of supposed Christians. They give you a business card, it's got a fish, it's got a dove, it's got a scripture on the back, and then they don't show up. If you profess Christ, live for Christ. Don't shame the name of the Lord by putting a cross on your business card and then being poor at what you do. Live for Christ in every area of your life. I'll get hate mail for this one, but I don't care. I'm old. (laughs) I'm old. And therefore the prudent keep silent at that time, for it's an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Hate evil, love good. You get in the picture here? It's good or it's bad. It's evil or it's good. There is no in-between from God's perspective. Love, seek good, not evil. Establish justice in the gate. That it may be that the Lord of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. For the path of the believer, we are to do, be doers of the word in everything. 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 You got a bumper sticker on your car. Act like Jesus. Because I'll tell you what's going on when you're driving down the road. People are looking at that. Got a, got a Christian fish on there? Aren't you doing 105? In the speed limit, 60? 35? we got to put it into practice every day, church. We have to seek good. We have to hate evil. Knowing the times in which we live, as you look at these things, think about them. Because these things are very, very clear. And so Amos here names some things that we should be very careful of. Promoting injustice. Rejecting godly rebukes. Oppressing the poor. These types of things are to a believer contrary to our new nature. For the children of Israel, they shouldn't have been the way that they operated in this world. And so for us, this is, this is good for us to hear these things. If you can't receive rebuke, if someone who loves you can't tell you, look, brother, look, sister, 
There's a problem here. If you're caught up in self-confidence, if you just are one of those people that cannot receive a good old-fashioned, thus says the Lord, then you're in trouble. And so you have to take these things seriously. Otherwise, what's left is the remainder of this chapter. Then you're a a Christian in name only. You're wandering around this world, you know, you kind of fit into that category that we often talk about uh, those that claim their fire insurance. So they go, well, I'm not going to get fried. But are you thriving for the king? Are, Are people's lives enriched because they know you? We should be the type of people that people can emulate. They can follow our example as, just exactly as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I may not be able to do a lot of things well, but follow me as I follow Christ. As I live my life for the Lord, you should at least be able to do that, all of us. The prophet Ezekiel actually says that I sought for a man among them who would make it, make a wall and stand in the gap before me, that me being God, on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Are you a person that's willing to stand in the gap for others? Because if not, this world's in trouble. This world actually needs you, needs me, needs the church. It needs us to be what God's called us to be. It does not need a bunch of other people who are just living a philosophical bent. It needs people who love and live the truth. Who walk so much with Jesus that the world looks at us and goes, man, you're weird for the right reason. I love being weird for the right reason. When people look at it and they can't figure out what's up with that, then you tell them, well, you know, I'm a pastor. and go, oh, now it makes sense. (laughs) <laughs> they do that to me. It's like, then they don't talk to me anymore because they think I'm going to preach at them, which I probably will. A little bit anyway. You can't help it. And you shouldn't be able to help it either. You've been saved from eternal damnation. Your life has re- been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Your lives are no longer yours. They actually belong to Christ. Even your bodies are supposed to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him. You you see, if we all take that seriously, then we become an army of what Christians are supposed to be, which is likenesses of Christ. People who look like, act like, talk like, walk like, speak like, say things that are from heaven because we're actually being like Jesus. Amos knew that. And so he finishes it up this way. He says, therefore, the Lord of hosts says this. There shall be wailing in the streets. They'll say in the the highways, alas, alas. They'll call the farmer to mourning and the skillful lamenters to wailing. All the vineyards they shall be wailing for. I will pass through you, says the Lord. Now, this is a reference back to the book of Genesis. And if you remember with Abraham back in Genesis 15, 
Abraham was asked to make this weird sacrifice and cut it in half and put half on each side and the Lord would pass through it. It was a, sign, it was a blood covenant. And so the Lord's basically saying, look, I've made a blood covenant, in our case, with the blood of his son, Jesus. For the Jewish people, he says, look, I'm going to stand between the two halves and I will be the one that keeps the covenant. I'm the covenant-keeping God that stands between the two pieces of sacrifice. For us tonight, church, it works this way. Jesus made that covenant with his own blood. That's why he said, as he passed along the ordinance of communion, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of sin. So Christ passed between us on one side and a holy God that has every right to destroy us. He passed between the two pieces of the sacrifice. God's righteousness demands that he exact a price for our sinful behavior. And Jesus said, wait a second, I'll stand between the two pieces. And so this is a reference to that covenant. What Jesus would actually do. God himself, that's why the ram in the thicket, here's poor old Abram, It's about to take Isaac's life. What does God say? Do not harm the lad. Why? What does he hear next? I will provide myself a sacrifice and there's a ram in the thicket. God passed between what should be our lot because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Said, I will put away my wrath. I'll put away my anger. I'll put away the judgment that's rightfully yours, Jeff, And I'm going to see you as sinless because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the reference here. Don't miss that. I'll pass between. I'll pass through you. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. So now he goes on to say, look, you better be careful. Because you're not ready for the day of the Lord. I'll pass through, but you better be right when I do. You see, for them, there was a whole lot of stuff they needed to do to be right. They needed to get to that day of Yom Kippur and offer the right sacrifices and make sure they were cleared up with God. For you and I, it's we have been cleansed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And so he's saying, look, you're not ready for the day of the Lord unless God has passed through. Unless Jesus is Lord. For what good is the day of the Lord to you? Well, if you have not had the Lord pass through on your behalf, you better be really afraid, actually. What good is the day of the Lord for you? It will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, a bear met him, or as though he went into a house and leaned on his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. That's not good stuff. It's like, youch. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and light, and not light? Is it not very dark with no brightness in it? I despise, I hate your feast days. I do not savor your sacred assembly. So he goes back and says, look, you guys are incredibly religious. But there's not an ounce of righteousness in you. If I were to pass through you right now, you wouldn't pass the test. I wouldn't receive your sacrifice. There'd be nothing, there'd be no propitiation for your sin. 
Though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. What was the problem with Cain and Abel? God wanted blood. Whoops. Your grain offerings don't cut it. They're not acceptable. No burnt offerings. I won't take them, nor will I regard your fatted peace offerings. When the Jewish people wanted peace, they would take the the most fatty piece of meat. For those of you that like to barbecue, if you know this, if you don't know this, please hear me. Please don't buy those steaks that have no fat on them. They taste terrible. They're like rocks. Amen? Hallelujah. You want the ones that are nicely marbled with fat. Ribeyes without fat are called flank steak. Okay? You don't want that. You want a ribeye, nice and marbled. But what happens? Oh, you put that on and flames everywhere. That's the illusion here. You see, the peace offering was this fatted piece of meat that when they put it on the altar, it like flamed up. And the smoke lifted up to the Lord. It's like, Lord, I I want your peace. Let it be as that. Look, this isn't going to cut it. I'm not going to regard those things. It smells good. That's not from your heart. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I'll not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water. See how he goes back to the actual issue? Justice is a matter of heart, isn't it? Justice is not just laws, it's heart. We can have just laws and still have injustice, don't we? We can have just laws, but don't we still have injustice in our country? We have the most comprehensive set of just laws ever invented in the history of humanity, but we still have injustice. Why? Because justice, real justice, is an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of law. You can have all the laws in the world, and they will not restrain an evil heart. The heart that is unrestrained will always find a way to do evil. That's why you can't impose a biblical morality on people who don't know the Lord. Because they have unredeemed hearts, and those things are like a foreign language to them. True righteousness, true justice comes out of a true understanding of righteousness and justice, what it actually is. Not just a set of laws. Laws can restrain evil, but they can't change hearts. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness 40 years, O house of Israel? The answer is yes, they sure did. They had this beautiful tent they drug around with them, set it up everywhere they went. The pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day hovered there. The Lord was with them and they sacrificed all the way through the wilderness wanderings. You also carried Sika, your king, Chayun, your, your idols. These are two pagan gods. Here's the crazy thing. Here's this tent of meeting, the tabernacle. This beaver-skinned tent with a white linen fence representing the holiness of God that surrounded the whole compound and the brazen altar and the bronze laver and the holy of holies and the holy place. 
and the Ark of the Covenant, and they still carried around false gods with them. That's a hard issue. It wasn't that the tabernacle didn't talk about the showbread, the bread of life that would set the people free. It wasn't that they didn't see the altar of incense where the prayers were offered up for the saints. It was not that the menorah wasn't lit and the light of the world wasn't in there. It's their hearts were dark, exactly as Jesus said. Men's hearts are dark, and until they come to the light, they remain dark. And so they carried around these little idols. The star of your gods, which you made for, notice it, yourself. Why? Because these two little gods were perverse, and they loved it. They let them do whatever they want. So they, they'd go to, in essence, they'd go to church on Sunday and start sinning on Monday. It's like, go do my business with God. I've had some interesting conversations with Catholics. It's like, you mean to tell me that you go into confession on Saturday and tell some dude who is a sinner just like you all the stuff that you did, and he tells you to go say 14 Hail Marys and five Our Fathers and do some works of penance and give a couple extra bucks in the offering and then... Maybe you're going to spend an extra couple of years in purgatory for that particular week, and then you go right back on Monday and do it. That doesn't seem like kind of crazy to you. And they look at me, well, yeah. I said, isn't God after your heart? <laughs> he doesn't need you to do repetitious prayers. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your acts of charity. He needs your heart. He wants your heart. That isn't fixing your heart. That's training you to do evil. And get away with it. Assuming that you're only going to spend 2,000 years in purgatory. And you go, well, yeah, but made me feel good. There it is. Same thing with the Jewish people. Made them feel good. They go to temple. Made them feel good. Then they go do what they want. Dangerous place to be, church. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God of hosts. We need to keep a watchful eye. We need to watch ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves. As Amos speaks these things, you can imagine, as he shares with them the things that are going on, He's checking out what they're actually doing. He looked around. He looked at their hypocritical worship. He looked at their lack of concern for other people. And finally, he actually looks back at their history and says, you know, maybe we need to change something here. And so there's a lesson in this. If we look around, if we look ahead, we look back, we should see the same Lord, notice what he says, the Lord God of hosts, in other words, the one who was and is and is to come. This is Yahweh, Lord of hosts. This is the one true God. He was there with Adam. He was there in the wilderness. 
He's with them now in Canaan. He would be with them through the conquest. He would be with them when they're dispersed. He would be with them when Jesus walked on the earth. He would be with them always, lo, even unto the end of the age, Jesus said. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we ought to treat him as such. Lord, I want to be blessed. Let me seek you. I want to have an abundant life. Let me hear your word. I don't want these things to fall upon me, so let me walk in your ways. I don't want to have any other gods besides you, so let me get rid of anything else that I'm worshiping. Don't let me carry my little gods with me. Don't let me think wrongly, in other words. So I'm not sure about you, but as I looked at this, as I was praying over it this afternoon, I don't like the woodshed. I'm not, I'm not a fan of getting the spanking from the Lord. I've had a few of them in my time. I'm sure most of you can say amen to that. I'd rather not have another one. So there's some things in this passage that will help us to, to walk in the middle of his will. To be blessed. To have abundant life. To not go backwards. To always go forwards. To think on things correctly. So as we hear the word of the Lord, as we walk in abundant life, as we seek him, those that seek him, find him, amen? And when you find him, you find him because you seek him with your whole heart, amen? And when you find him with your whole heart, you give him your whole life, and then you're wholly blessed, amen? That's the path that we walk. The choice is ours to do it. And I pray that this week we will. It's like, Lord... I'm tired of carrying around these things that have never done any good for me. You know, the crazy thing was these idols never did anything for the children of Israel. In fact, they're going to get spanked by Assyria. They should have been able to look at it and go, oh, that didn't work out so well. But we're kind of hard-hearted and hard-headed sometimes. So let's avoid the woodshed, amen? Father, we thank you for the power of your word to transform us, shape us, and mold us. And so, Lord, help us to hear your word. Help us to seek you with a whole heart. Lord, help us to live that abundant life that only you can give. God, speak your truth into our lives and use us for your glory. And as we do these things, God, would you be made manifest in us and to us and through us. The world needs us to show justice and be merciful, to be kind, to walk in the spirit, to be light in a dark place. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to do these things so that the world can have a vision of who you are and what you want from us. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. pray that you bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.